I've been so fortunate to be around the most brilliant, the most curious, the most innovative people in the world. And those are three-year-olds. I'm General Alan Salisbury, host of CODA Support's Profiles in Service podcast. This podcast series was inaugurated as part of our 10th anniversary celebration. In this series, we explore the many dimensions of service, service to the nation, service to our communities, and service to humanity. Our guest today on Profiles in Service is Darius McInnes, currently a doctoral candidate at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. As you will soon see, doctoral candidate is only one of his current activities. Welcome to the podcast, Darius. General Salisbury, thank you so much for having me here. It really, it really is an honor. Thank you so much. Well, we're pleased to have you. Um, just to uh, go through the early stages of your life quickly, uh, you were born in 1986. That makes you a full-fledged member of the millennial generation. Uh, and you were born in Flint, Michigan. Um, your father, while you were a young child, joined the army. Uh, you moved many times, finally settling down kind of in Texas. Uh, and you ended up uh, going to uh, Angelo State University uh, and got your bachelor's degree in business administration in 2008. Am I correct on all of that? That is correct. That's correct. I had to like look up and think like, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> this is all correct. Now, at that point, you had your, your degree. You enlisted in the Army. Um, did your father's service in the Army influence that decision? What, what caused you to do that? Um, I uh, first want to just start by saying thank you again um, for the opportunity to be here. And uh, all of that is correct. A uh, funny story about joining the military. When I was in high school, I told my parents, oh, I would never do this. Like, that's crazy. I would never join the military. This is this is this isn't even on my radar. Um, <laughs> it was just something that was not it was not a thing for me at all until uh, my junior year of college. Uh, I realized that um, I loved business and it was great. And I had a really good experience at Angelo State studying business. But I realized that um, business wasn't quite what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and I began um, entertaining the idea of giving back um, through military service. And my dad's service, actually, uh, when I looked back on my life and thought about all the opportunities and, and everything that my dad's service has afforded us. And just, just looking at him for his bravery, you know, he's deployed many times and he's sacrificed so much uh, for my siblings and I to have a good life. So ultimately it did um, impact me in a way where I said, well, okay, okay, I'll, 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 I'll backtrack a little on <laughs> my statement of saying that I would never do it. And um, ended up being the best decision that, that I could have made. Service kind of runs in families, we find, and, and I thought that might be the case in, uh, for you, and it sounds like that, that was. You became one of the less than 1% of Americans 
who put on the uniform to defend the country. Um, you applied for and were selected for OCS and uh, became a logistics officer. You, your first assignment took you overseas as a brand new second lieutenant, uh, platoon leader, I gather. Uh, and I, I think you found that a rather humbling experience, though, to suddenly find yourself in, uh, in charge of the fate of uh, something like 88 people in your first platoon. How, how did you uh, cope with that? So when I joined the Army, uh, there were many transitions happening, um, not just in my life, but also in America. We had elected a new president. We um, were going through an economic crisis. So um, and I had just graduated from college. I was 22. I'd never had any sort of management position or management role at all. Um, and I had gone through so much training. This was the year when uh, Bullock 2 was still a thing for officers, where after you went to OBC um, or um, after you commissioned, you, you had gone to Bullock 2 with uh, other folks who commissioned either in West Point or in, uh, in ROTC. And we all did all of our tactical training together. And then you went to OBC. Uh, and then I was in, I think the very second class of uh, ordinance officers who um, trained at Fort Lee as opposed to Aberdeen Proving Ground. So there were just so many transitions happening, but I had the confidence in saying, well, if I can do all of this, I can, I, I can certainly lead a platoon, you know, of however many people. And I remember um, going to my first duty station at uh, Camp Casey and I met with the battalion commander at the time, uh, Colonel uh, John Harris, uh, whom um, I'm still connected to today. And uh, he's one of the best leaders I've ever, ever met in my life. Um, he said to me, so you are practically going to be an FSB commander. Um, I know that you don't have much experience. I know that this is your first assignment in the army, but you'll be in charge of the cooks. You'll be in charge of the medics. You'll be in charge of the maintenance folks. You'll be in charge of the, the chaplain assistants. Um, so, um, good luck. Uh, you, <laughs> you have a great support system around you and, um, and I'm always here if you need me. And it was a very steep learning curve because I just had to learn so much so fast. I didn't know how to lead people. I didn't know, um, I just didn't know the protocols of my, my job. There were so many different things that I had to manage at one time. And as a new Lieutenant in the army, uh, it, was, it was exciting, but frightening. And I, I will say my NCOs and my soldiers really, really, really stepped in and really made it a uh, successful uh, uh, turn as a support platoon leader. Um, they, they taught me everything, all of them. Um, Sergeant McLaughlin, uh, um, LeBron, all of them. They were, um, I still, uh, I'm still connected with them to this, this day and they were very patient with me. And they taught me everything that I knew. Even though uh, I'm a West Pointer, I was too, a brand new second lieutenant. And we were well uh, trained to uh, latch on to that platoon sergeant and his job. And, and I think the platoon sergeants really take, accept this as a responsibility, was to train these new lieutenants so they could be effective leaders. And I, I think you benefited from that as well. Uh, you had a whole range of logistics assignments and uh, uh, 
you became a company commander, promoted to captain. Uh, I'd like to focus in on, on Fort Lee uh, in Virginia. Uh, and while you were there, you're serving in the military. Uh, and uh, that's pretty uh, much a full-time job, as we all know. Uh, but yet you found time to, to volunteer. Can, can you tell us a little bit about how that opportunity came about and, and what impact that had on you? Sure. Giving back uh, was, it was something that I just, I just felt a call to do. Um, it began with actually, before I started volunteering with Petersburg schools, I was volunteering in uh, Forestville. Um, there's a military academy there and some friends of mine, um, we all went up to, uh, to Forestville to judge some ROTC competitions, which was really, really cool. Uh, these were high schoolers out doing like drills and um, and um, we had an opportunity to do that. That came from a friend of mine um, who was looking for volunteers. And then the opportunity to work with uh, schools in the Petersburg area came from my unit. I'd actually gone one weekend uh, with a few people from the company, a uh, few few soldiers from the company, we had gone to volunteer at some schools in Petersburg, and we were pretty shocked, quite honestly. Um, I had never imagined schools could lose accreditation based on uh, performance, and we um, were we were working with high schoolers to prep them for applying for college. We were helping them with you know organizing themselves with uh, time management and we were getting them to think about uh, what their career goals were down the line and in that moment um, is where I really became sort of uh, drawn to education um, because there was I just realized that if this was happening in Petersburg there was a there was a big chance that this was also happening in other areas and around the country. And that's, that's, that's how I also um, not only got connected with education, I mean, excuse me, with, with volunteering, but also with education. So uh, you're taking care of your soldiers, you're taking care of the, the kids in school, and somehow you also found time to pick up an MBA with an orientation or a concentration in human resources. So uh, you were a pretty busy man in those days. Um, now, I, uh, you left the Army in 2013. Uh, you applied for, I gather, and, and uh, re, uh, received uh, an Education Pioneers Fellowship. Uh, was it that that took you to Crescent City in New Orleans to work with the schools there? Yes, sir. We, um, so it was the inaugural uh, cohort for uh, Ed Pioneers in New Orleans. I was on my way out of the army and to be transparent, I didn't know what I was, what I was going to do. I just didn't, I didn't have any handle on it. I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to transition out and someone's going to find me and I'm going to get a good job. And, uh, but I knew I wanted to work in education in some capacity. And I had been, uh, I had applied for the education, uh, pioneers fellowship. Um, a friend of mine actually posted it on Facebook and I said, oh, this sounds, this sounds cool. And I separated from the Army June 6th, uh, no, no, June 7th, 2013. The first day of my fellowship with Air Pioneers was June 13th. No, June 10th, 
20, 30. Less than a week later. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I was like, oh yeah. Actually, yeah, I'd uh, separated Friday, the 7th of June, and I started Monday, the 10th. And so I'd driven from uh, Fort Lee to New Orleans. I was still in my uniform, stopped in Atlanta, changed clothes. And this was like my little first taste of the civilian world. I showed up to New Orleans um, with my cohort uh, and I met some amazing, amazing folks. Uh, Nicole, Aaron, Harry, uh, all of uh, Thinky, all of these great folks um, uh, who were also in grad school, but uh, also transitioning into careers in education. And I was linked and paired with Crescent City Schools where I got to work with Chris Cromwell and uh, Kate Mihawk, and we did a turnaround um, for one of the uh, the charter schools in the uh, Algiers Parish. I think is I think it's called. And this was my this was this was another opportunity to give back, just in a different capacity. It's really funny though. Like I look at some pictures of us back in New Orleans, and I'm still like standing at attention uh, because I I, I was still I was still a soldier, uh, but. Um, I really enjoyed my time with Crescent City Schools, and I, I just just loved the experience overall. And you got a lot of experience more on the administrative side than the teaching side there. So you got to see the infrastructure and all of the things that go on behind the scenes to support education. I guess that was pretty good experience. So in 2009, uh, Congress passed the Kennedy-Hatch National Service Act, which rejuvenated a number of national service programs that had been going on. And particularly, they added uh, a, a large number of positions in the AmeriCorps program. Uh, and I believe you got into that program, uh, again, uh, with the uh, Inspired Teaching School, was that that where you served your uh, AmeriCorps service? Yes, um, and I uh, and just just to back up just a little bit, when I was doing the fellowship in New Orleans um, and thinking about like how I wanted to transition into into teaching, it was actually while we were doing some work with working with families. Um, getting them registered for the upcoming school year. In 2013, I was uh, reading books with kids while they, while they waited for their parents to, um, to talk with administrators around the school. And one parent suggested to me, uh, she was like, you should, you should read books to kids. Actually, I think that you should teach them. I think that you'd be really good at it. And I was like, no, 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 you know, there's no way. But then I gave it some thought and um, I actually ended up doing it. Um, I moved from New Orleans to DC and applied um, for teaching certification through the Inspired Teaching uh, Program, which was uh, started by um, Aleta Margolis. And in the program, it, it's, it, it was um, a 24 month residency program um, where we were paired with the lead teacher for our first year. And we were given support, uh, coaching, um, and we were also getting a master's uh, in teaching. and. With that, we uh, did uh, some service projects because we were also AmeriCorps fellows through, through our service. And so we did some service projects around the city in D.C. And uh, you might tell us about the uh, swearing-in ceremony that <laughs> you participated in uh, into the AmeriCorps program. I thought that was kind of interesting. 
That that was really cool. Um, so maybe about right after I uh, started the program and I began teaching, um, we, uh, uh, I think Mara, she was one of the program, uh, um, she's one of the managers we work with. She sent an email out to, to people saying, hey, um, the, uh, I think uh, for the swearing in, I think the, you know, the White House is looking for people to give like a reflection on their service and what service means to them. And I submitted a reflection where I talked about transitioning from the military and my plans and to go into teaching. And I was contacted by a person at the White House saying, hi, Darius, um, you know, we found your story really compelling. Um, would you like to swear in on the White House lawn with uh, Presidents Obama and Clinton. As if oh. I was going to say no, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> no brainer. You, you spent several years in this inspired teaching program. and uh, But in the summer of 2016, uh, you uh, diverted your uh, service uh, to Kenya. Tell us about that experience. Yes. I, um, after teaching, I taught uh, four-year-olds and three-year-olds. And there is, um, there's an organization called um, Nairobi Volunteer Services. And I uh, received an email from them. Um, and a friend of mine actually did uh, this program. Uh, it wasn't through Nairobi though. It was, um, I think it was IVHQ. And she had done some teaching in Tanzania the year before. And I'd seen an email um, from uh, IVHQ and they partnered with, with Nairobi Volunteer Services. And it was for um, a volunteer opportunity to teach in Kenya at an orphanage. And uh, it was the summer of 2016. And most teachers take, you know, the summer off and just kind of, you know, uh, rest and, uh, you know, rejuvenate and uh, get, get ready to go back to school. But I really felt, you know, again, I'm always driven by this, like my, my feelings and like my callings to give back. And I thought that that would be a really nice opportunity um, to see education in, in a different light without as many resources as, as we have in the United States. Um, and quite honestly, I was just looking to learn uh, while I was giving back. And I ended up teaching at an orphanage called uh, Grace Community in Kahawa West uh, in Nairobi. And it was an experience like I honestly can't describe. Um, I taught all types of lessons, subjects. Um, it was an experience that I want to do again. Um, it took a lot out of me emotionally. It was just so different than what I was used to um, in, many, in many different ways. Um, it taught me that, um, it taught me perseverance. It taught me um, an experience where people, quite honestly, um, like the, the kids at the orphanage were just so resilient, so wonderful, so talented, so brilliant. And the volunteers who came, uh, we all just learned so much. And I'm sorry, I'm just trying to keep it together. I always get a little, a little emotional with talking about the experience. Um, but it was one where I made long lasting friendships again. I always meet, you know, and when you do service with other people, you always tend to connect with uh, folks who are like-minded and folks who want to give back. 
and I've met long lasting friends uh, who have, uh, who also answer the call to uh, give back to others. And that was an experience I don't, I will never, ever, ever forget. Uh, another experience you, you uh, had that you mentioned just a, a few minutes ago uh, that you had been introduced to the Homeless Children's Playtime Project in Washington. Uh, your official title, one of the roles you filled uh, for them was as a play ranger. Tell us about being a play ranger. <laughs> sure. Being a play ranger. Um, so this was also while I was teaching uh, at the same time in D.C., um, and it was once a week, sometimes twice a week. Uh, I volunteered with one of the shelters that uh, they partner with. And it's really just a nice way to bring, uh, bring play into uh, transitional housing spaces. As a play ranger, we showed up and <laughs> um, <laughs> we showed up with a plan in mind to work with the kids. But the kids, honestly, they really drove everything. They, they, they led everything. Uh, we showed up to a play and you know, at the end of the day, when you're done teaching three-year-olds, you you just want a nice, chill experience. Uh, being a play ranger was not it. So um, I had to get like a second wind of energy. Uh, we uh, played games with the kids. We played sports with the kids. We took the kids to the pool during the summertime. We read books with them. We helped them with their homework. I mean, you name it. We, uh, we really tried to foster um, a loving uh, playful, uh, engaging environment for the children. So many of them um, had experienced trauma and so many things uh, throughout uh, their their lives more than people um, experience in a lifetime. So we were able to bring play into their space. It was uh, it was it was it was a pretty easy experience. Exhausting, but but uh, <laughs> it was uh, it was um, it was it was a very rewarding experience, though. So now uh, you're still teaching, uh, you're doing this volunteer work. Uh, and once again, uh, you, you, you already had an MBA, but you found time to uh, study some more and work towards a master's in early childhood education, yes. which I believe you received in 2016 from Trinity Washington University. How did you work that into your schedule? Honestly, uh, going to my first duty station and managing so many different things with maintenance, with the dining hall, with the chaplain service, with ammunition, I was forced to learn how, um, how, to, how to manage my time. Uh, you should see my calendar. Uh, <laughs> people laugh at it because it's, it's like, like I block out and color code time for everything. And I carried that with me when I became a teacher. Um, one of the things that I'm always adamant about, no matter where I am, I will be connected to some sort of volunteer opportunity. And while being a teacher, I was able um, to make time for um, my babies, as I, as I called them when I was a teacher, um, and planning for that. Um, and I had also really great co-teachers uh, who helped to really make that um, make that experience a lot easier uh, than if I had done it by myself. And so, uh, shout out to Miss Alves, shout out to Miss Christensen, shout out to Miss Bunty, Miss Gonzalez, and Mr. Stanley, and also Miss Salisbury, uh, <laughs> with no relation to uh, to General uh, Salisbury. But um, I. Um, it was only a once a week commitment, 
but I did, um, I'm just a really big, big uh, stickler for time management. Uh, and I think that if, if there's something that you want to do, and if you have the impetus, if you have the, the, uh, the, the, if you're responding to a calling to do something, uh, there's a way for you to make it happen. I think the most important part is taking care of myself, um, because if I don't take care of myself first, I can't be any good to anyone else. And then, um, and then after I'm, after I ensure that I am okay, that's when I'm able to kind of, you know, figure out where, uh, where there is time to uh, give back to others. Well, your education trajectory is, is very clear. Uh, after four years teaching in, in D.C., you made the move to Philadelphia. Uh, and I believe that was then primarily focused on uh, getting your doctorate in, in education. You had three roles right off the bat there in Philadelphia. Uh, once again, you're uh, a research assistant and a doctoral student at, at University of Pennsylvania. Uh, and uh, you're a volunteer for the Free Library of Philadelphia. And you're also on the adjunct faculty of Westchester University of Pennsylvania. Uh, now, uh, I guess that the, the driving force behind uh, getting your doctorate was your selection for the Tillman Scholar, as a Tillman Scholar. Uh, most people probably don't know about that Tillman Scholarship, but uh, you can tell us about it. Sure. So the uh, Tillman Scholarship was named after uh, Pat Tillman. And uh, we are a group of veterans uh, who are uh, pursuing a degree of some sort and that we all embody leadership and selfless service. Um, and for that, uh, it is a community of people whom uh, have dedicated uh, their lives uh, to service uh, um, through the military, um, and some of whom are actually spouses of the military, uh, or excuse me, folks of, spouses of folks in the military, and all of us are connected uh, through service. I'm a 2020 Tillman Scholar, and I've been um, connected with other scholars uh, in the Philadelphia area and around the world. also, through that, I was connected through um, to um, my friends uh, Emily and Matt, uh, who introduced me to an organization called Action Tank, and we are a community service volunteer, um, veteran-led organization uh, doing some work out in the community here in Philly. Um, I recently joined this past February. And um, that's been another way to, uh, to give back. Um, some folks who are in the organization are, um, are also Tillman scholars. And uh, that's just been like a little piece of the network with the, uh, the Tillman community. I understand your goal is to be a professor of early childhood education now. Uh, and you're, it, it all will go well, I'm sure, that, and you'll receive your doctorate in education uh, this next summer, 2022. Uh, now, you're already uh, on a tenure track uh, as an outstanding faculty member with Westchester. So uh, I, I would say the odds are very good that you're going to reach that goal of becoming a professor. I do have a question here, though. Uh, you seem to be happiest and really in your element 
when you're actually working with the young kids. As a university professor, how will you satisfy that need? That's a really great question. Um, one, I think, I think that um, I will always be connected to volunteer service some kind of way. I've been um, a volunteer with Philly Reading Coaches uh, since I've come to Philly. And we um, spend some time after school reading with, with kids. Um, and these and uh, the kids who we, who we work with are um, at varying levels of reading. So it's not anything that's like compensatory or um, like remedial. This is just uh, an opportunity uh, for kids to, uh, to do some reading engagement with other people. And so I'll probably always be connected with something similar to that. And um, beyond that, I, I've always, you know, I also have aspirations of um, starting a nonprofit to give other people opportunities to work uh, with young children, uh, very similar to the play opportunities I had with the Homeless Children's Playtime Project. So I'm thinking about doing something like that. And whatever is next for me, I'm absolutely sure that when I retire from that, I will absolutely go back to being a preschool teacher probably for the rest of my life. It's, it's just a job that I enjoy more than any others. Well, we've already uh, pointed out that you're a grad student, a volunteer uh, with the Free Public Library on the adjunct faculty. Uh, you mentioned that you're, uh, you work with the Action Tank where you're a volunteer and I think you're also on the board there. Uh, I also uh, have read that you're involved as a reading coach with the Philly group. Uh, and uh, there, another involvement is with the Rodine College uh, House Community Service Community. Uh, I think in your spare time, you ought to uh, teach a course in time management because you seem to have mastered it if you could keep all of these uh, balls in, in the air as well. Uh, a few questions maybe uh, as we move to wrap this up. Uh, looking back on your military service, uh, how would you assess its role in preparing you for what it is that is now your life's calling? It's a great question. Is there a commonality between taking care of the troops and taking care of young kids that transfers there at all? Yes, I think being mission focused, uh, being in the, in the military, we know the mission comes first. Um, it is, uh, it's, it, it, will, it will happen. Um, and so having the mentality that I will, me and my team will do something, like there, there, there is no other option, really gave me uh, the sense of uh, goal setting in whatever I did. And with with education, when you enter a field like um, like teaching, I think so much of the rhetoric of things that we read is uh, it all sort of comes back to uh, impossibility and uh, barriers and roadblocks. And so, I, I I think that so many people enter this field with a deficit mindset that some things can't be be done and and things can't be fixed and and. Um, that every every child can't achieve and every child can't read. And I, I think that what the military has given me is um, the mindset of that actually 
um, if you believe that you can do something and it will happen, I think that uh, it's possible in education. And that's how I um, have always approached my, um, my job as a teacher, um, my job as, a, uh, as an adjunct professor, and even in my duties as a grad student here at Penn. I think that um, just going back uh, to what you said also about taking care of your soldiers and taking care of your students, uh, I really did think that teaching would be vastly different uh, than taking care of soldiers. And it's not, it's not much difference. Uh, even when you teach three-year-olds as opposed to teaching adults, it's really not that much of a difference. And not to, you know, uh, to uh, uh, infantilize my students, but I'm thinking more broadly about just the care. You know, um, I bring that with me in my teaching with adults. I want my students to know that, of course, I have to be proficient and knowledgeable of the content that I'm uh, um, responsible for, for, uh, for giving them in their course. But to be transparent at my core, I believe that our most important job as teachers is uh, to care. Um, I believe that our work is so relational. Our students come with, uh, they, they come with so many different experiences, so many different things that happen to, to them in their lives, whether they're three years old, whether they're 30, uh, there's an opportunity for us to learn from one another. And I um, just carry with me the same love and, um, and, and, and care and leadership that I had for my soldiers. I have the same thing for my students. And I know that that, that came from my military background. And one thing that I found, uh, and I would imagine you found this uh, too, when, when your battalion commander in your first assignment uh, gave you all of these additional duties, uh, that uh, you, I'm, I've never been afraid to take on something new, uh, even though I didn't know anything about it. You know, okay, what's the responsibility of a mess officer or a motor pool officer and whatnot? Uh, military people, I have found, uh, are always uh, ready to jump in and learn that new job. They'll go to the manuals and find out what they have to do. Uh, and that's, I think, a valuable experience from, from the service. Uh, I'm going to ask you a leading question, uh, Darius, about volunteering. Uh, and the idea is that you mentioned many times that volunteering was part of your desire to give back. And so you're giving of yourself uh, to the students, the children, and whatever volunteering work you're doing. Uh, my own experience has found I, is that you not only give, but you receive when you do this. There's a lot that you gain through this volunteering experience uh, in per, your own personal development. Is that fair for you? Uh, that's a great question. I would absolutely agree. I think um, beyond um, the benefits of bringing um, your ideas and your talents to a, a space in service of others, I think you learn so much from the experience itself. I think and in different capacities. I think that uh, volunteering in Petersburg really gave me a sense of purpose um, and direction uh, because I didn't know, I knew that I wanted uh, to transition out of the, the military. I just didn't know in what capacity. And then with, with volunteering at the Homeless Children's Playtime Project, that was an experience um, that led me 
to want to volunteer in Kenya and uh, to see um, poverty and transitional housing in a, a different light. Um, and then here, volunteering with the Philly Reading Coaches, this gives me an uh, insight to um, some of the things children may uh, experience outside of school uh, that uh, could be a barrier to their reading or even like their love for reading. I think uh, the volunteer experiences really bring out uh, parts of our character that we didn't even know were there, especially when the days when you're just a little tired or you may get in, you know, an invite to hang out with a certain person or go to happy hour or uh, to do something um, like go see a, a, a movie, but you've made a commitment to give to others. So I think also just the element of sacrifice um, and thinking about why you start something in the first place, uh, it really gave me a sense of, of what it means to really, really give up your own time uh, for, for, for other people and, and why you do it. And, I, and, I, and, and then I would say the last part is doing it for the sake of the service itself and not just to post a selfie on social media so that other people can like it and praise you for the service, but doing things, uh, doing good, you know, when others uh, aren't looking, when it's when it's not on display. I live by that, not not just in giving back, but also in my professional and my personal lives. Um, just um, doing good by others um, and doing right by others, even when you're not acknowledged for it. There is no limit to the amount of good you can do if you don't care who gets the credit. That was one of my boss's me messages to me many years ago, and I have found that to be so true. Um, I'd like to get your ideas and thoughts about uh, the importance of early childhood education. You know, one of the uh, subjects of the uh, new administration, one of the goals I think is uh, pursuing something like universal pre-K education. How important is that in your experience? I 100, 100% 100 uh, think that universal pre-K is long overdue. I, in early childhood classrooms, I've, I've been so fortunate to be around the most brilliant, the most curious, the most innovative people in the world, and those are three-year-olds. And I think that early childhood education provides an opportunity for kids to express themselves, for kids to question the world. And uh, um, I always say, say to my students, um, every chance I get, never stop asking why. Never stop asking why. Always ask why. Um, why leads to new ideas and why leads to new philosophies and new practices and new ways of doing. And in early childhood classrooms, uh, this is an opportunity for us to really um, bring these experiences out of, uh, of our kids uh, with one another. Um, they are afforded the ability um, and uh, the opportunity to collaborate with other kids. During my year teaching uh, three-year-olds, one of our kids asked, why does something like a block sink in water? And why does something like a ball of paper float? 
and that turned into a big unit of, of study on, uh, on buoyancy, why things sink and, and, and float. And that didn't come from me or from my teaching team. It came from a child. And with early childhood classrooms, we have the flexibility uh, to do things like that, uh, where we're not uh, confined to a, um, to a curriculum with, uh, with standards uh, based on like the milestones of like how, like what level kids should be reading at by, by what age, because they're so young. Um, and we're able uh, to cultivate a space where kids can bring in ideas and other concepts. And also, frankly, um, childcare is a really big issue. Um, the, uh, the cost of childcare in this, uh, this country uh, has been an issue for a very long time. And I think that um, universal pre-K can help to uh, offset that, uh, beginning with uh, H2, if uh, we can create a space where parents don't have to pay for their kids uh, to come to a school as early as two. Um, this is a way to, um, to provide a service to also to, uh, to parents uh, who, may, uh, who may find the cost of childcare uh, to, be, um, to be overwhelming. We advertise ourselves as a, uh, a nation that offers equal opportunity, not equal outcome. But that equal opportunity uh, has to begin uh, with education at the earliest stages. And I would uh, actually very much endorse what you've said there. Well, we've been talking today with Darris McGinnis as today's profile in service. Uh, Darris, you gave Uncle Sam five years in military service. Uh, that certainly qualifies you as a veteran. Uh, your volunteer activities are way too numerous uh, to uh, summarize here. Uh, and, and again, my personal belief is that next to national defense, service as an educator in our public schools has to rank pretty high as well. So I'm going to close this, uh, Darris, by saying thank you for your service as a veteran. Thank you for your service as a volunteer. And thank you for your service as an educator of the future generation of young children. That's all for this episode of Profiles in Service. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation and are looking forward to your joining us again for the next episode as we continue our discussion of service in all of its many forms. Until then, this is General Alan Salisbury saying thank you for listening. Thank you, Darris. Thank you, General Salisbury. This podcast is powered by and copyright of the Coda Support Foundation. Coda Support presents Profiles and Service is hosted by Major General Alan B. Salisbury and produced by Carly Van Tassel. The opinions of the guests on the show do not directly reflect the stance of the Coda Support Foundation. To learn more about Coda Support, please visit www.codasupport.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Finally, if you or someone you know is a service member, veteran, caregiver, or military family member in need of assistance, please visit codasupport.org slash get help or create a free account at patriotlink.org.